Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, fans. The game is coming up this weekend. And I say it's the game as opposed to the other game because this one's against the Ohio State University. Spencer Holbrook of Letterman Row is joining us to break down the Ohio State Buckeyes. Earlier, I texted him. I said, I'm just going to go with every position's really good for my film analysis. We're going to ask him how far off that is. That's coming up on the BWI Daily Edition. Welcome to the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. You can call me T. Frank. This is Spencer Holbrook. For those that don't know, Letterman Row is the sister site for Blue White Illustrated. Uh, that covers the Ohio State Buckeyes. He's here joining us to give us the inside scoop on Ohio State and their season so far. Spencer, I know it's a crazy week. Thanks for making time to talk to us about uh, what Ohio State's doing this year. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to be here. This is uh, one of my favorite weeks of the year, covering Ohio State, Penn State's always a treat. So it's 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 been a, a busy week, but a fun week. Let's Let's get into it. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of games that have disappointed over the years when it comes to these two teams, especially, you know, in the James Franklin era of playing Ohio State pretty close. Ultimately, though, that's always kind of gone in the Buckeyes' favor. Now, um, I want to ask you, though, Ohio State, got to be pretty worried about this game, right? I mean, the Nittany Lions, offensive juggernaut. They've scored 40-plus points in six straight games. They've allowed a grand total of 21 points as a season high, and uh, now... Those are the Ohio State notes. So, but how, how do the Buckeyes feel coming into this game? And more importantly, how do they feel going into any game where they seem and they have this aura of being bulletproof? Yeah, I think it's almost a little bit of like a Big Ten uh, Alabama effect without the national titles to show for it. Like the thing about Ohio State is like, it's obviously intimidating to play this team because of the helmet at this point. Like, like they just win. And so then you talk about the talent level and you watch, you flip on the film and you see, you know, what this team can do. And it really can, can be one of those helmet games where it's just hard to get in the mindset of like, yeah, we're going to win this game. If you're an opponent, that being said, if there's one team that knows, you know, what to do to keep this game close and, and be in it until late in the fourth quarter, it's Penn state. Like, you know, Penn state has traditionally played Ohio state hard, tougher than Michigan has. And, you know, that's even with the Michigan win last year. Like that's a one-off almost at this point. Whereas Penn State, every single year, they've been very competitive against Ohio State. They 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 were right in it against Urban Meyer. They've been close, not really close, but close against Ryan Day at Ohio State. And so it's just an interesting matchup because you would think Penn State and Michigan would play closer to each other because of the talent level. I think is it's pretty similar there. But stylistically, when Ohio State and Penn State meet, the two styles clash and, and you get some pretty interesting and close games. It, it's going to be fun to watch that this happen on Saturday. Yeah, this is a conversation at James Franklin's press conference earlier in the week that, you know, Penn State is built to play with Ohio State. They're built with a similar philosophy in mind, a similar architecture. And so the matchup is naturally and intrinsically a little bit better. Um, we'll get into how that might have changed, in my opinion, this year, though. Let's start, though, with C.J. Stroud. And, uh, you know, 
as hard as this is, just like the joke I had to start the show, let's put aside the 2,000 yards and 28 touchdowns. Let's put away the stats for a second. Uh, how do you feel he's playing this season outside of the talent around him? Yeah, I think he's been he's been really, really good. Uh, there's been stretches of play where it just seems a little, uh, you know, muddled a little bit, maybe a little muddy. Uh, the first half against Iowa when they came out and did a lot more single high than Ohio State expected. Uh, you don't really expect to see that from Iowa, but they did that, and it kind of threw Ohio State off its its points. Uh, you know, trying to to move the ball and get the passing game going. Um, and they really couldn't run the ball well against a good Iowa defense. You saw it against Notre Dame when Jackson Smith and Jigba was hurt. They had a game plan surrounding getting the ball to their playmaker. And when he went out, C.J. Stroud struggled a little bit. But other than that, I mean, you, you talk about a guy who's been in command. You know, there was a stretch on Saturday against Iowa once they figured everything out where Stroud was 9 of 9, 170 yards and three touchdowns. That's, that's in, insane. And that's against yeah. a good Iowa defense, even though – that was when the Iowa defense started to to break a little bit. You saw a change in body language. They were obviously frustrated that their offense couldn't get anything going. That's a story for a different time. But, you know, the idea that, of C.J. Stroud is it's not just the touchdowns. It's not just the the yards. It's the command. It's the, you know, being on his spot. You know, it's the throws that no one else can make. You know, there's, there's yeah. a throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. against Michigan State you can point to. A throw to Emeka Ibuka in, in the win over Iowa that you can point to to say nobody else is doing that. Yep. And there have been times this year where I think he has struggled a little bit or gotten a little flustered, but then right after a drive where you think, oh, maybe he's off today, he'll go out, complete every pass on that drive. And then they're in the end zone for seven and number seven is celebrating. And you're like, wow, that that's, that's an NFL guy right there. So it, it's been, a, it's been an interesting year for CJ, I would say. Yeah. Inconsistency. Uh, you know, to to just put this out there, like I haven't watched all of the film so far. And the nice thing is they make it easy that you only have to watch one half of a football game. Uh, so but but it, that in mind, it seems like inconsistency is is a bit of the conversation here. But then, as you pointed out, the wow throws that he makes up with that, the one of them that I saw against Wisconsin, he's throwing into the teeth of a cover one and and it just layers it over. And I'm sorry, cover three just layers it over the linebackers. And it's like most quarterbacks don't make that throw. Most college quarterbacks don't make the throws that he can make. So that doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah. Um, the, the growth, I guess the question then is, is do you see growth from him from one year to the last now that teams have a year of film on him specifically and how they might be able to attack him and some of those weaknesses that every player might have? Uh, how do you think he's responded to that through the first half of the season? Yeah, well, one of those weaknesses is the fact that nobody respects him as a runner. And so, you know, there were two times against Iowa where he had a first down easily. One of them, he threw an interception instead of taking the 10 yards and sliding in for a first down. He threw a ball over the middle that was intercepted. Another one, uh, you know, was would have been a first down. And instead, he kept it. And and I think he was sacked on that play. He's got to be able to run a little bit. And I think teams know that, that, that you know, it's not a surprise now. It's not a secret that nobody cares if CJ is going to run or not because everyone knows he's not going to. Um, so I guess that's a weakness, but the growth I've seen is, you know, <clears throat> last year, a lot of it was the ability to trust, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. None of those three have been present with this Ohio state offense this year, yet CJ Stroud has still been CJ Stroud. So a lot of the credit last year went to the incredible wide receivers Ohio state has, uh, with, with Olave and Wilson 
and Smith and Jigba. Now that Smith and Jigba, they're hurting injured, so badly this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but with, with for sure with Smith and Jigba sidelined and Wilson uh, making place for the Jets and Chris Olave yeah. leading NFL receivers right now, you know, for rookies, CJ Stroud had to learn to trust other guys. Now those other guys, full disclosure, are five stars. And that's just how how it works at Ohio State. Well, it's the talent around him. Well, of course it's the talent around him. He's at Ohio State. Like, yeah. this is not – it's not anything new. And so I think the trust level that you've seen C.J. Stroud establish with Emeka Ibuka, with Marvin Harrison Jr., with a former walk-on like Xavier Johnson to throw him the game-winning touchdown pass against Notre Dame, like, the trust level that C.J. has in his weapons that aren't named Olave and Wilson – and the trust level Ryan Day has given him for this offense, maybe it leads to a couple more turnovers, but maybe it leads to a lot of points and a lot of great play from C.J. Stroud. It's been fascinating to watch some of the things they're able to do. Uh, we talk about this when you, you go to the NFL and you can put really great number one receivers in the slot and get certain matchups. Just the way they're able to put Emeka Buka in the slot, which, by the way, that was supposed to be Jackson Smith and Jigba, if I'm if I'm correct. Like that's where he played last season, and now you've got a a number one type receiver against a college safety, and it just yeah. like that's just unfair. Like that's a ridiculous situation to create, but that is something that the Ohio State Ohio State offense is able to do. I want to get to those guys in a little bit, save them for the end of the offensive conversation because I do think that in a lot of ways. Those guys are what make everything go. But what I've seen different this year is the running game. Um, you know, it's been a while since Ohio State has had, I think, a bona fide, like, seriously dangerous running game. This year seems to be the case for that. Now, again, I haven't watched, I haven't sifted through all the film yet, but what I've seen is they out Wisconsin, Wisconsin at one point. So do you agree with my assessment? And, and what am I missing, if not, in the situation with the Ohio State running game? Yeah, it doesn't take too far to go back and see the 2,000 yards that J.K. Dobbins put up in 2019, although that was pre-COVID, and now so it feels like forever ago. That's a good uh, point. A 2,000-yard back is almost impossible to do unless you're named Wisconsin and uh, or unless your name is Barry Sanders. And, he, you know, J.K. Dobbins did that. But that was, again, pre-COVID. You saw glimpses of a running game, uh, you know, in the Big Ten Championship game in 2020, in the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson – or the Sugar Bowl, I'm sorry, in 2020 from Trey Sermon. Last year you saw the potential of Travion Henderson in spurts, but the offensive line wasn't near what it should have been because they were playing four tackles at guard and tackle. Uh, this year, though, Justin Fry, new offensive line coach, associate head coach, he has come in. He's inserted some new running schemes. He's inserted some new ways to run the football and, and get upfield, uh, you know, run downhill. Last year, I think they ran a little too uh, east and west, not enough north and south, as cliche as that is. It's very true. And now you see a new Mayan Williams who's running like the best back on the roster. But then also yeah. you have Travion Henderson, who is, you know, talent wise, the best back on the roster. He is on a different level. Um, compared to most running backs you'll see nationally. So it's interesting that, you know, the outside observer kind of sees that the Ohio State running game is improved because I certainly see it, even if they didn't run the ball well against Iowa. I think Iowa is just so fundamentally sound up front that it was hard yeah. to find. It's always going to be hard to find lanes against Iowa. Michigan had trouble doing it. Ohio yeah. State obviously had trouble doing it. Um but that's where this offense gets so potent is, you know, if you're going to put an extra safety on the field or if you even go too high, you know, Wisconsin went too high to not get blown out. And yep. Ohio State said, OK, we're going to run the ball. You bring a safety down once they start running the ball well, and then they're going to throw the ball. 
it's really difficult. Um, and it all starts, like you said, that's super cliche, but it all starts up front. Those That offensive line, Paris yeah. Johnson, Donovan Jackson, Luke Whipler is a Remington Award, uh, you know, could be winner. Uh, then you go to that other side and you've got another guy who could be a first round or second round tackle in, in Dewan Jones. And Matthew Jones is a fifth year guy who's played a lot of football. Like they're just getting things done. And then you mix in the new schemes from, from Justin Fry. And you're talking about a really dangerous attack there on the ground. Yeah. Donovan Jackson stood out to me as a run blocker, especially of a guy that we, we always make the cliche of being able to move people in, in the big 10. Like the, the talent level is pretty equitable for the most part that you don't get guys that get pushed four or five yards off the ball. It takes a special player to be able to do that. He's at least on film from what I've seen, a guy that can do that. And that, like you talked about playing four tackles last season and, and now having a better mix up front. Do you think that is part of the conversation is having a better mix of players up front that it's not so pass oriented when you've got, guys with such length that might be great pass blockers, but you don't have that balance of body type and strength and length and all of those things with the thought in mind that they're all freak shows like that. Almost yeah. all of them are great uh, offensive linemen anyway. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, it's also goes to the athleticism of this line. You know, last year, yeah. one of the problems that came up was the fact that Dewan Jones was so good that they moved Thayer Munford to guard to get the best five offensive linemen on the field. Well, the best five isn't always the best combination of five. Yeah. And so you saw them w struggle between the tackles because there was no between the tackles because there were four tackles. And so, <laughs> so you know, it's just, the A gap just, is a very small between the tackles. <laughs> so, excuse me, you had a first time center. You had mm -hmm. Thayer Munford, who was is it now a tackle for the Raiders and made the roster despite being a late draft pick. Maybe he was even undrafted. And and so Nicholas Petit Frere was playing tackle. And you had tackles lining up beside each other. Now you've got a former five-star top 15 overall player in the country at guard, which is hard to do as a guard, but Donovan Jackson did that. Yep. Um, and he was committed so early that people kind of just dismissed him, but he was a top 15 player in the country at guard. And he has the ability to play tackle, but he's so good at guard, it's hard to move him. He plays between Paris Johnson, who's going to be a first-round pick at tackle, and he plays mm -hmm. right beside... Luke Whipler, who's one of the best centers in the Big Ten. And so all of that is to say that fundamentally you could see that the line would be better by default just because of the personnel. But then you add in the talent of that personnel. You add in that this is, you know, Paris Johnson's second year as a starter, Dewan Jones' second year, Luke Whipler's second year. Matthew Jones has spot started for three years now. And Donovan Jackson's a freak who's only started seven games his run blocking is off the charts, a little inconsistent at times in pass blocking, but yeah, this line can move people. And then again, Justin Fry brought the pulling schemes, the, yep. the bucks, the GTs, the, the things that you want to see from a diverse run game from UCLA, where they ran the ball really well last year. He put that a little bit into Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day's offense. And now you're just seeing it start to cook a little bit. And and those pulling schemes were something that Penn State really struggled with uh, against Michigan. One of the reasons they gave up so many yards was, uh, you know, making the linebackers who some of them are very athletic, some of them are not very athletic, making them run to the sideline. Um, but even even when they don't, even when they're running the base system of just the inside outside zone, their athleticism just to me pops off the tape that these guys are what you're looking for when you're trying to run that scheme 
uh, they can get those reach blocks. They can control guys and they can hold the point of attack and allow these big rushing lanes for Mayan Williams and Travian Henderson. Uh, I don't want to gush about them too much uh, because I do want to talk about the reason that they can run just five offensive linemen and they don't need a tight end and they can have all of this space is because you lose two top 15 picks and you might be as talented this year. And I know Jackson Smith and Jigba has been injured and has been in and out of the lineup. Let's start there with what's the situation with him coming into this week. Do you know anything more today that we didn't know after the game against Iowa? Yeah, so I have a story right now on LettermanRow.com about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, from what we understand at Letterman Row, he uh, was on a pitch count of 20 snaps. He ended up playing 22 um, he did come up a little bit hobbled in that game on his 22nd snap. He did not play again. He was not on the sideline in the second half. Kind of raised some eyebrows a little bit. He had trainers around him before he left the field for halftime. And then we talked to Ryan Day yesterday, on Tuesday rather, and he uh, he talked about the pitch count, how they'll know better if he's going to be on a pitch count this week. I would expect a pitch count, but I don't know what that number would be. Maybe it's higher than 20, but I wouldn't expect him to play the full game. Um, right as of Wednesday, but that can change. Um, he will play. I, I think it's pretty certain he will play. He's back in the lineup. How big of an impact can he have, though? I, I hesitate to answer that right now because we just don't really know. It's it's a hamstring. So it's how yeah. do you feel today compared to yesterday? How are you feeling tomorrow compared to today? It's very day-to-day -day with a hamstring when you get to this point in the rehab process. He felt good enough last week to play on Saturday. He played 20 snaps. He had one catch, but he had three targets. So they tried to get him involved a little bit. Um, I would expect them to try to get him even more involved as long as he feels good this week. But to, to say he's not going to play, I think, would be would be a false statement. I, as of Wednesday, like I said, I expect Jackson Smith and Jigba on the field. So the guys that have been carrying the water then and have been kind of the, the playmakers so far have been Emeka Abuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. What do you make of that duo in terms of talented duos you've seen at Ohio State over the last couple of seasons. Man, how, how much time have you got, man? It is <laughs> it, to, to watch these two, you know, it's I you hesitate because you know this is an unbiased profession and and you know this is not a biased take at all, but you just have so much fun watching those guys, man. They they are so gifted at what they do. You know, yeah. Marvin makes those catches where you know he's he's got his full full arms, you know, out and, and going over a guy to make a, a crazy catch. Emeka makes one cut and goes. He kind of looks like Jackson Smith and Jigba before Jackson exploded onto the scene. You know, before Jackson had 300 and some yards in the Rose Bowl, he had 250 yards in, on, I think, 16 catches against Nebraska. And yeah. there was a moment where he made one cut and ran to the end zone. That's what you're seeing from Emeka Ibuka this year. Yep. They're exploiting everything that they exploited with Jackson last year. They haven't skipped a beat with Emeka. Now, that might be a little scheme. But also, Jackson was a five-star receiver out of Texas. Emeka was the number one receiver in his class. Yep. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr., who might be the most talented of all of them because of the work ethic, because of the genes. I'm not sure if you know. You know, his dad was. He's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so like, he might be the most talented, and he was—he's one of the lowest-rated guys that's on the in the rotation right now, as far as recruiting rankings go. So, then you yeah. also mix in. Julian Fleming, who's caught a touchdown in every game he's played this year and had a 79-yard catch and run last week against Iowa, it's it's about as scary as, as you could think of trying to defend these guys. Now, I will say, and I'll give some credit here, the Penn State secondary is very good. I like Joey Porter. I like you know a couple of those other guys uh, in that secondary. It's it's going to be interesting to see how Penn State tries to match up with these guys because you yep. know 
you've got you've got to have talent in your guys. Do you have talent that Joey Porter can go man to man against one of these guys? Well, if you do, and he doesn't, you're going to find out quickly, and you're yep. going to pay the price. But if he can match up with them, then it's going to be a fun game. You've got to be able to get to that point though, and you have to trust him once on an island. And if he gets burned on an island, then you're down seven nothing, and and you're Ohio State's off and running. So I yep. just think it's interesting the receivers versus the Penn State cornerbacks, that little chess match of do you trust them once to go man-to-man, and can you learn to trust them throughout the game man-to-man? On Monday on our live show, this is the exact thing that I pointed to when I said this is going to be one of the biggest matchups of the game, and it's a, it's about what Manny Diaz decides here. Is he going to go press man? Is he going to play a lot of man coverage? Because Joey Porter Jr. is the guy that's going to the league next year, but Kalen King has that talent as well. Yes, he does. So yeah, they, They've got a stable of guys, and Johnny Dixon isn't too far behind that although he's been a little bit inconsistent. Um, and before before this season, before he imploded, Daquan Hardy was one of the best slot corners in at the Big Ten at the very least. So they had the horses to go match up with these guys on paper. But it, it doesn't matter on paper. If it's, if it's a camp out, you know, it's a prospect camp out there, you're going one-on-one and you're just playing ball, sometimes the receiver is going to win. And can you live with that in that sort of scenario? And then beyond that, you're also putting linebackers and safeties in one-on-one and the depth of talent. You know, if you're putting a Mike linebacker one-on-one with Travian Henderson, that's a problem too. So yes. it, that's such the, a fascinating, I'm glad you brought that up. So I, cause I love that idea of what's the plan going to be coming in. Cause that's going to, I think shape a lot of what the Penn state defense and, and, and the Ohio state offense look like in this game. Um, go back to Julian Fleming for one second, because it is a, Sore spot for Penn State fans, the guy that got away, that was almost a Nittany Lion, shows Ohio State from Pennsylvania. What has his career at Ohio State been like? Because it feels like, given the talent in the room, it got off to a slow start. But is he integrating himself and is he making himself a player for Ohio State? Absolutely. He's one of the hardest working guys on this roster. Uh, He uh, came in, was injured from high school, never got it taken care of in high school because it's high school football. Um, he had a, a, a hurt shoulder his entire freshman year. He went through injuries last year. He started this season injured the first two games of the year, didn't play. And since then he's caught a touchdown in every game he's played. So a healthy Julian Fleming is a five-star number one receiver, Julian Fleming, obviously, um, because he's got the diversity of the route tree. He's got the ability to break away from defenders and, and get down the field for an 80 or touchdown last week. He's got the ability to, to be one of the best blockers we've seen at Ohio State from the wide receiver position since Chris Olave and since Terry McLaurin, who were elite, elite blockers in the open field. He is very, very special. And I think he's just scratching the surface. Uh, I, I fully think that his freshman year was almost almost a red shirt, but it wasn't really a red shirt, but it was like right. a pseudo you need to get healthy before we trust you on the field. Last year was just unfortunate. With he just had a, a you know a run of, of bad luck injuries, and this year now that he's healthy, he's showing that you know he deserved every bit of his recruiting ranking because he's been incredible for Ohio State. Um, you know just his ability to stride and run, how long he is, his ability to track the ball, to catch the ball in open space and, and get upfield. Um, he's very gifted with, as a route runner, which he had to learn because of the offense his high school ran. It was just, right. hey, get get Julian the ball or run the single wing. Yeah. <laughs> and then so now he's learning the route tree from Brian Hartline. He's learning how to make cuts, how to not waste that energy uh, with any false steps. And you're seeing the the fruits of that labor come to life when he's catching touchdowns against Big Ten competition this year. He's been he's been a lightning rod for this offense, along with with the tight end Cade Stover. Both of them have just been 
been two guys that that Ohio State has really, really, uh, you know, taken delight in watching grow this year in the passing game. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. One last question about the receivers. We spent 23 minutes talking about the offense. It is obviously the headline for this team, but another sneaky, impressive thing is going to be the defense we're going to talk about here in a second. Um, My hot take this year has been that, sure, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson are great. This group that we just ran down from Fleming all the way up to the guys that are there and uh, at the top of the roster, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba, and his breakout season last year, obviously the injury kind of changes this, but I think this group is more talented. I think that this is a, a a better overall with size, physicality, and just, you know, overall talent. It, it might be better than it was last season, and they had two top 15 picks, which is I'm trying to do that thing of not take anything away from the other guys and say, holy cow, look at the talent they have now. Is that is that pure hot take, or is there something there that you think? Well, they went three-man rotation all year last year. Jackson Smith and Jigbo was the third guy, and, and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave were the top two. This year, they're going four and even five deep. You've got Jackson, who's hurt, but he's coming back. Emeka is the number one receiver right now. Then Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming. That's four automatically that they trust to put on the field at all times. And then, like I said earlier in this show, Xavier Johnson, a former walk-on, caught the game-winning touchdown against Notre Dame. Like He's a guy who's more than capable of going out there and playing. You've, you've got some of these young guys in Jaden Ballard, who's starting to see you know, some playing time and is, is quote, the fastest guy on the team, according to a lot of people in the building uh, with, with hands that are still improving and, and a route mm-hmm. tree that's still improving. So I think this is a deeper unit. I don't know if, if top, top end, the first three are as good yet, but I'm not sure that I would say that in November when I've seen a full sample size of Marvin Harrison Jr., who is an absolute freak of yeah. Emeka Ibuka, who looks like a clone of Jackson Smith and Jigba. From Jackson, who hasn't been healthy, but when he's healthy, we see 1,600 yards, 95 catches. Like, I think top to bottom, and then Julian, who I didn't even mention, Julian Fleming again. You know, like, (laughs) top to bottom, I think one to four, this group is better than last year's group. Um, Just because there were three last year, I think there's at least four this year that can get it done for you. Yeah, so no big deal. I mean, everyone has that, right? Everyone in the NFL, everyone goes four deep. Uh, Let's talk about the defense, because, you know, we do need to give them the same respect of, um, you know, a, another unit playing really well for the Buckeyes. And let's start at the top. What difference has Jim Knowles made coming in as the defensive coordinator this season? Everything. It is it is yeah. night and day. Um, the difference between the lack of diversity in a defensive scheme last year of thinking that you were good enough to just run, run your stuff and run it well and everyone else. And it would be able to you know, salvage you on drives and, and get the job done. And that just simply wasn't the case. They were uh, they were embarrassed defensively against uh, Oregon last year. They were embarrassed defensively against Michigan last year. And they really didn't change anything between that other than playing terrible teams. And it disguised the issues that were there. Uh, so now Jim Knowles is in. He runs a 4-2-5. It's completely changed everything. The safeties are uh, how, exponentially better than they were last mm-hmm. year. Lathan Much more active. I'd say. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Lathan yeah. Ransom's one of the best 
safeties in the country. That's not really a hot take. That's, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Tanner McAllister has three interceptions because he's so active. He came with Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State, knows the system well enough to disguise himself in the defense and be able to still move to his spot. Then you, you know, Ronnie Hickman led the, the Buckeyes in tackles last year. He's really active. He He's one of those guys who you can always count on. And up front, Mike Hall has been a surprise. Uh, you know, Jack Sawyer roams around and is the Jack position, as Jim Knowles calls it. Uh, yeah. But they haven't even shown that yet because they haven't had to. And I think you right. might see that against Penn State with Jack Sawyer roaming around, being that that rover a little bit. You've got two linebackers on the field. You can bring three in. The corners yep. disguise every time they, they cover. It's it's so different from the basic defense that we saw last year from Ohio State and just trotting out the same defensive scheme on almost every down. Uh, the, the difference is night and day, and, and it can't be stressed enough how good of a job Jim Knowles has done in turning these guys around. Uh, there's a lot of similarity I'd say between what Knowles does just kind of looking at it from a kind of a broad view of architecture and the types of bodies that they play to what Manny Diaz does uh, at Penn State obviously the difference being the level of talent the depth of I wouldn't say the depth of the safeties Penn State safeties are, are very good but just the overall uh, schematic talent from from front to back and I guess that's where I want to go next before we get back to the secondary is uh, that front seven, another area I noticed on film is, to, correct me if I'm wrong, are the linebackers playing better than Ohio State linebackers have played previously? Because they seem like they're keyed in and they're making great plays in the run game, especially. Yeah, it's not a stretch to say that Tommy Eichenberg should be considered among the best linebackers in the country. I mean, yeah. you've watched some of the film now. This this guy is playing out of his mind and he's he's leading the team. Uh, in tackles, he's right up there at the team lead in tackles for loss. He's right up there at the team lead for sacks because they bring these guys aggressively. They're not afraid to pressure you. Uh, Steel Chambers is playing really well. Steel Chambers, a former running back who switched over to linebacker and was just thrust into a starting role last year at linebacker, which yeah. tells you tells you where the linebacker position was at this point for Ohio State last year. Now you you look at these linebackers who are very, very attacking. They're very confident in what they do. They're given free roam from Jim Knowles to be aggressive, to be creative in what, what they're doing. And, you know, uh, again, it's a credit to Knowles, who's who's the linebackers coach, along with the defense coordinator, that he's been able to take this unit, which was a liability, especially in the run game last year for Ohio State, and has turned it into one of the biggest strengths. It helps the defensive line because the, the offensive line doesn't know when those linebackers are coming. It helps the secondary because those linebackers are so diverse in what they do. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Knowles has done a great job with those guys, but you also have to, to tip your cap to Tommy Eichenberg, who's just been a lightning rod for this team. And, and he's he's one of the most underrated stories right now of this roster. It's It's been really impressive to watch because if you're looking for – this is always the, the delicate balance, again, of saying, where do you attack this team? Because no team is perfect, but also acknowledging that they're good at pretty much every position. And this year, the scheme is benefiting the talent more. Um, and one of the things that you can do, and this is this is always the gold standard, is if you can deploy the fewest number of resources to one area to then dedicate them somewhere else, now you have a massive advantage on defense. And in, in Penn State situation, you know, they may decide they want to go and de- dedicate the fewest number of resources possible against the passing game so they can help their struggling run defense. Uh, and then on the flip side, Ohio State, I feel like they can shut the run down with just those guys, just the, the front four and those two linebackers. Uh, what's the difference in this defensive line? And I, we keep doing this of comparing to last year, but just in general, what is the what is the strength of that unit, in your opinion, of that of that front four? 
Well, you have to compare it to last year because last year they didn't meet the standard. The standard right. is Big Ten Championship college football playoff. That, last year was the one year they didn't do that. So you have to compare it to last year because that's what Ohio State is wanting to do. And so I, I think it's completely fair to continue to bring up last year's defense compared to this year. Last year, a lot of the same guys. JT Tuimolawa was a true freshman last year. Jack Sawyer was a true freshman last year. Uh, Mike Hall, true freshman who redshirted. He didn't even play. Uh, uh, Teron Vincent, sorry, excuse me, uh, a guy who wasn't truly healthy. Now healthy, you see him start to deliver. Uh, Zach Harrison, who's finally starting to find his footing, find his role as a former yeah. five-star who's now in his fourth year in the program. It's it's just the confidence that they play with, the the free freeness, is that a word, that they play with. They're just free-flowing. They understand yeah. what they're supposed to do. And Jim Knowles kind of takes a lot of the – the heat if they mess up you know he says if you make a mistake monday through thursday that's on you if we make a mistake on saturday it's on me and that allows them to play really free especially up front you know you're out of a gap that's on jim Knowles. that's not on you and mm -hmm. so that this defensive line is playing as confidently as i've seen an ohio state defensive line and that includes one of the one that had chase young on it yeah um, not that there's a player with top and talent of chase young but the confidence level that these guys have that they're going to get the job done with those front four is something that I haven't seen at Ohio State. And then you mix in those linebackers who are just reinforcements behind them playing really well. And you're mixing in a lot of different ideas to get this run defense back to where it should be at Ohio State. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. There's no, it, there's no obvious number one overall pick talent on the defensive line. But the, just, again, going back to the scheme and what you just described, it is obvious on film that these guys are playing with confidence and aggression. And... And that's half the battle, right? Like that's half the battle of getting guys to play up to the 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 peak of their potential. And if you get guys playing together like that, it, I mean, it, they they're I think they're averaging two point nine yards per carry is something I heard the other day from uh, JD Pacel when he was talking about this game on the On Three National Show. Uh, that's that's dangerous if that's the the baseline for Ohio State's defense up front, and then you throw on all the other stuff on top of that with Zach Harrison. It's funny the way you you phrase that of finally a guy in his fourth year in the program figuring it out. Like if you're a five star and you're not gone in three years, there's a problem, <laughs> which yeah. is like it's not the case everywhere else. Like ah, everyone has their own clock is what we always hear at Penn State and a guy that's a fi former five star uh, playing. It seems like to kind of dig into that over the last three weeks, it seems like it's really come on for him. Is that accurate or what has been going on? If that's not, because by the stats, it seems like that's where uh, the narrative would be that it's really clicked for him in the last three games or so. Yeah. And it, I think it's a lot of it's to do with Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach who, you know, your, your fans know him just yeah. as well as our fans do. You see the growth in learning the Larry Johnson way. And for Zach Harrison, He's a little different than a lot of guys Larry's worked with. He's six foot four, six five. He's got the longest arms of anybody on the roster. He's his body is just different. He's not as powerful down low. He's he's more of a use your hands and get use your long arms, use your length and get off guys. So I think the path for him under Larry Johnson was a little different than some other guys. But I also think, you know, last year the expectation was your third year guy be Chase Young in his third year, which was, you know, Benaric Ward, which was Heisman finalist. It didn't it didn't take with him. And this year he's he's not a captain anymore. He's just a senior defensive lineman who's also a leader, but not a captain. And he's really taken to the role of just, you know, I'm gonna go out there and play. And let's not discount uh Thomas the the idea that the defensive tackles can help. Um yeah. 
the defensive tackles at Ohio State did not play as well as they should have last year for the talent level. When Teron Vincent and Mike Hall are making those plays inside, that guard hesitates to help on Zach Harrison because he has to make sure that he's got, you know, it, it all taken care of with the guys in, in the middle who are playing really well right now. And so all of it just comes together for Zach Harrison at the right time. And, you know, you never know if he's going to, he's going to really get into you and try to get around you to sack the quarterback. You never know if he's going to dip inside. They do some fun things with him because they trust their linebackers to also bring that pressure. And it's all just freeing him up to be a, a, a better thinker on the football field and a better player on the football field. I think he's really starting to excel. And, and I, I hate to keep saying this because I'm a broken record. It's a lot of credit to what Jim Knowles is doing the way that he's just kind of, you know, reinvigorated this defense found their confidence that they had lost last year when they were being chastised and talked about every week, you know, are they getting better? Well, this, this year, you don't have to worry about that. Cause you know, that they're getting better. You know, that you can see it. It's, it's real growth. And that, that applies to Zach Harrison too. And I think he's just starting to hit his stride. I'm not going to be surprised to see him continue to take off this year. Uh, we're talking to Spencer Holbrook of Letterman row. We're breaking down the Ohio state Buckeyes in depth, uh, getting you ready for, the Buckeyes come into Happy Valley playing Penn State noon on Saturday. Not the whiteout. A lot of controversy around that in Happy Valley, but still doesn't diminish how big of a game this is for Penn State and their opportunities in the Big Ten. And obviously for Ohio State, it's it's a big game because it's the next game on the schedule uh, on their march to a Big Ten East title, which feels inevitable every year at this point. Uh, last couple questions about the defense. Is there anybody that we haven't talked about that you think is a standout player, something Penn State should know about coming into the game that, you know, of the players we haven't discussed? Yeah, if it's not Lathan Ransom, because he kind of jumps out at you from the safety spot, it's definitely JT2 and Molo uh, Five-star guy, uh, one of the one of the best players in the country for his class. Chose Ohio State really late in the process last year. Uh, arrived on campus in July. We saw him on the field in September. So he was a guy who immediately came in and they trusted to put on the field despite not having the college weight room, despite not having the mm-hmm. the buildup that everyone usually needs at least through fall camp. He, he, he arrived late even to try to get into fall camp. And so uh, th- the way that he took this offseason was this is his first ever offseason in the college weight room. You're seeing it show up. He doesn't make the sacks. You're, if you look at the stat sheet, you're going to say, why, why do I need to care about that guy? He's a quarter second away on every pass rush from making that sack. There's there's multiple clips of tackles with just handful of Jersey trying to stop that guy from getting to the quarterback. And, and he's, he's on the, on the wrong end of some no calls this year so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch the film with him, he's just been kind of overshadowed by a Mike Hall, by a Teron Vincent, by even Zach Harrison now, but his impact is far reaching. He's making those plays. He's really, really good against the run. Uh, so I think JT Tuimoloau, if you're a guy who likes to watch the film and not just watch the ball, he's a guy that you can dig in on and say, yes, the talent is absolutely there. The production will come eventually because he's just getting better right now by the day. What, what number is he so Penn State fans can, uh, yeah, can watch 44, him on? 44, big number 44 there on the edge. Uh, he looks like a, He almost looks like a three-tech, but he's built like a defensive end. But when you get the pads and everything on, you almost could be like, why isn't that guy playing inside? Well. You see what the pass rush moves, why he's not playing inside. The number 44 is not a defensive end number. That's part of it, too. I'm yeah. guaranteed, I guarantee you that. Yeah. Um, so at my casual observation so far has been if there is a place you want to attack this team, if you can do it, given what we just talked about with the defensive line, 
can you throw on this team? Because I've noticed a couple of receivers open. The ball doesn't go there for obvious reasons. Um, is is the secondary still kind of learning the scheme and doing more diverse things? Is that been a challenge for them at all? Or is that just kind of noise on on film? No, I think it's a valid reason to to say that you could do something on this this defense. You obviously have to have time to do it. But if you can throw down the field on the yeah. outside, which is a hard thing to do, uh, yeah. you can you can certainly do it, though. Um Cameron Brown is injured. I'm not sure um, how much we'll see of him. We'll probably see him on Saturday. He didn't play against Iowa. Uh, Denzel Burke has been improving since he sat out a game with an injury, uh, but still we haven't really seen him the way we did last year as a true freshman All-American and as a guy who was pegged to be, you know, one of the best corners in the country this year. That hasn't materialized very well. And then J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock. J.K. has been the third corner all year. He was a, you know, a, a kid who they really liked coming out of high school last year. Jordan Hancock, a top 70 overall player who they really liked coming out of high school, flipped from Clemson to Ohio State from Georgia. And uh, then he got hurt in the in training camp as a guy who was supposed to be one of the breakout stars of this defense um, and then got hurt in training camp, a bad hamstring issue. And he's been out until the Iowa game. He just came back on a snap count against Iowa. So can, is he healthy enough to give you a full game if Cameron Brown can't go? Or are they going to continue to rotate corners? If you've got time, if you've got the weapons, you can throw on the outside down the field. The question is, Mitchell Tinsley is is kind of similar to Parker Washington, where those guys are more of an inside receiver, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. The safeties are harder to do that on than the corners. And I'm not sure what Penn State has on the very outside to press up against Cameron Brown, to press up against uh, J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burke to make life difficult on those corners. Um, but they are vulnerable right now. That doesn't mean they can't get better. But I'd say if there's one area, like you said, that you could attack the secondary, it's on the outside, on the corners, beyond the hash mark. Yeah, that's been a, a constant debate I've had with Penn State fans and some of my colleagues that I think Mitchell Tinsley has more to give as a receiver. And we've seen it at times. He's a he's a precise route runner and he can be a contested catch guy. But Sean Clifford has to have the confidence to throw that football up. Last week, he had the confidence to throw that football up and he was rewarded with it against Michigan. Not so much in, in some of those situations where the receivers did not win their individual matchups in some key situations. But that is uh, a big unknown of what those guys can give you. And then Penn State's third receiver has been a whole nother story uh that's going to lead into what i want to wrap up the show with just a couple more, more minutes with spencer holbrook we're talking about penn state ohio state noon you can catch the bwi live post game show directly after the game we will dissect it whether it is a uh three car pileup or if it's a race car uh, event where we're going up and down the field doesn't matter how this game plays out we're going to talk about it live at the conclusion of penn state and ohio state just put that on your calendar um what do you think of penn state what do you think of the Penn State offense? Explosive at times, but incredibly inconsistent. Do you feel like you know what to expect from the Nittany Lions coming into this game? It's a mixed bag, and it's because of Sean Clifford, and, you know, from what I see. you know, Ohio State fans know this Penn State team because they, they were off. Ohio State was off the week Penn State played Michigan. That's terrible news for Penn State because yeah. now Ohio State fans think that Ohio State should do exactly what Michigan did. But this is a favorable matchup for Penn State compared to Michigan. I'm not saying that this is truly like – Penn State has the edge here, but you talk about Ohio State versus Penn State, it's a different kind of matchup than Michigan versus Penn State. And so I do think Penn State can have some success. Um, I don't know if Penn State can run the ball. Uh, Maybe break one, um, but it's going to be very, very tough sledding. You're talking about one to two and a half yards of carry, and then it could go up to three to three and a half on one run, a 65-yard run. 
But other than that, I think you're going to just try to chip away and really run the ball just to say that you did it. Um, this run defense is, is really good, and I'm not sure if Penn State's offensive line can has really the, the horses. And, and, you know, that maybe that sounds a little scarlet-colored glasses, but I see no. this Ohio State run defense just continue to get better. Yeah. And I see the Penn State run offense struggle. And then also, if you're going to score points against Ohio State, you've got to keep up against Ohio State. I think Ohio State will be able to score points because of the Ohio State run game. If you try to devote anything to the run game, you're going to be susceptible to the pass because of the tight end passing game with Kate Stover, which we didn't even talk about, but he has a catch in every game. Yep. Uh, you know, the corners, I think Penn State's corners are good. How good? Marvin Harrison Jr. has six touchdowns against press man coverage this year. You're going to have to be able to press man him or you're going to be or you're going to get the ball run on you. And Ohio State's not afraid to do that. So I think this Penn State team is good. Uh, I think I picked this Penn State team. If I check back on my notes to go to finish nine and three, I would probably say 10 and two at this point. I don't see you know another reason to think that they're going to drop another game other than Ohio State. But I just I see the talent there. I know the talent is there. I just don't know how long that talent can keep up. And, you know, James Franklin talks about this all the time, you know, the, whether it's the elite team comment or, you know, just keeping up and, and becoming one of the, the top tiers of college football. Like, yeah, you can do it. And Iowa even did it a little bit because of confusion. You can do it for 35 minutes. You can do it for 40 minutes. Uh, you know, Notre Dame did it for 45 minutes. And on the 45th minute, Ohio State threw a touchdown pass over the top because Notre Dame made one little mistake in bringing yep. safety. It led single high. You get a touchdown pass and then Ohio State leans on you and runs the clock out. So can you do it for 60 minutes? Penn State teams in the past did it for 60 minutes and lost by one with Trace yeah. McSorley, with Saquon Barkley, with ridiculously talented players like Micah Parsons. Are those guys there this year? Like, can Sean Clifford keep up with Ohio State for 60 minutes? I, I just don't – I can't bring myself to think that way, so I'll be surprised if it happens, but I'm not going to say that Ohio State's going to walk in there and win by 30. Yeah, that's kind of somebody asked me my hot take of, or my bold prediction this game is that Penn State's going to uh, n I think Ohio State can cover the spread, but Penn State's not going to get blown out like they're going to be in the game, but they might lose by 14 late, uh, which doesn't make you feel any better. I just want to go back to something you said. You, somebody who covers Ohio State and sees what the top end of college football looks like, you think Penn State is a good team. So where do, where do you think they rank among the teams that, that Ohio State has played so far? And how do you handle the schedule conversation, which is going to lead into a whole other quick conversation that I want to have about that once you're done with your, your response? Yeah, I think Penn State is, you know, I, right now with this Penn State team, uh, I don't want to say Sean Clifford holds this team back because I, I'm not sure Drew Alar is as ready as maybe Penn State fans want to believe he is. Um, just because he's a true freshman, it is hard to play as a true freshman as a quarterback. It, they, you know, there are just a few select guys who make it look easy. You know, Trevor Lawrence kind of ruined it for everyone, looking that good as a freshman. And so everyone thinks five stars can go in as true freshmen and and be that. And I, I'm just not sure. But I think with, with Sean Clifford, with freshman running backs, with a susceptible run defense, I think this Penn State team is probably a top 20 team in the country. Um, you know, on a neutral field, I think they would beat a lot a lot of really good teams. Are they pushing the top edge of that elite to very good status that I think Michigan's in, that I think an Oklahoma state's in, that I think, uh, you know, a few other teams around the country, maybe a USC because they can outscore a lot of people yeah. you know, who are trying to push into that upper tier and join the club. Uh, and that sounds really exclusionist and I don't mean it to be, but like, that's just the way college football is right now. Yeah. 
it's a three-man club, maybe four. I still am a little skeptical about whether Tennessee can handle Georgia um, just because of athleticism there. But like, you know, Penn State, Tennessee, Penn State, Michigan. We saw that, but that was at, at Michigan. Penn State, Oklahoma State, even like a Penn State, uh, TCU. Like, how do those games end? I think they're competitive, and I think Penn State probably wins a lot of them. But, you know, top 15, top 20, that's, that's, a, that's a damn good football program. But Penn State wants more. And so that's yep. how I view Penn State right now is just I know that they can do it at a very high level. Can they do it at the highest level? Right now, I say no. Yeah, and I think that that's a, a very fair way to position that. Also, this this season for internally from Penn State football fans is a very different conversation than where it was at the beginning of the season, where where everyone coming off the last two seasons expected Penn State to be eight and four or seven and six because you know of kind of the doomsday mentality of all this stuff. But here they are, six and one, going into another meaningful game. This team is also in my estimation, a year ahead, kind of like in 2019, where they've got some really young players playing ahead of their schedule. So if you want to go the trajectory conversation, maybe they took a step back, but they are going in that direction. They are not backsliding continually from where they were in 2019. That's aside the point, but I want to ask you one last thing. How, do we discredit games just because of the final score and this is this is kind of my point of Ohio State has blown everybody out right and maybe they don't have the strongest strength of schedule uh so far this season but they made Wisconsin look really bad and Wisconsin is not a bad team so just generally in college football it seems to be that when you beat somebody and you beat them soundly it's like oh well that team wasn't any good and we keep moving the goalposts for Ohio State, the goalpost has never moved because it's all the way at the end of where it's supposed to be. And I don't know if this is a fair com comment for you, uh, given what you observe on a regular basis, but what is your opinion of that? Just like how we view teams when you beat them. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I look at Georgia, who struggled with Kent State, who struggled with Missouri. And every time after those games, it's like, should we worry about Georgia? And people are like, nah, don't worry about Georgia. They're fine. I look at Alabama. You talk about the Texas game. Mm -hmm. Who's an average Texas team, in my opinion, with a decent quarterback, a true a freshman quarterback still. You look at Texas A&M, who sucks. Texas A&M is bad. Yeah. They're, that's a bad football team. Alabama was one play and one yard away from losing to that team at home. No, I think it was on the road. No matter what, though. Then – you look at Alabama against Tennessee. They couldn't stop anybody. And we still say, well, that team can still make the college football playoff. But if Ohio State had been within one yard of losing to Michigan State, a, a, a three and four Michigan State team who has a, almost the same record, I think, and similar statistics offensively to Texas A&M, and they were, you know, a, a field goal with 13 seconds to go away from losing to a team of Texas caliber, let's call it uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. We would have completely different conversations about whether Ohio State could reach what Alabama and Georgia are. And so obviously there's some Southeastern, you know, we're big 10 guys. Like we're going to say it like all oh, the SEC bias, but like, right. Look at, look at the way people talk about the three teams that everybody thinks are the best in college football. The conversations are completely different surrounding Ohio State. Well, they haven't played anybody. Well, every team they've played that they were supposed to decimate, they've decimated. Georgia should have beaten Missouri badly. Georgia should have, been up 48 nothing at the end of the first half against Kent State, and the third string walk-on should have been in the game in the third quarter. They didn't do that. If Ohio State struggled with Toledo the way Georgia struggled with Kent State, this would not be a conversation we'd be having right now. And so it is frustrating 
to see this team with this level of talent uh, be in the Big Ten. And it would be frustrating for me if it was Penn State. It's not just because of Ohio State. But, like, the curve that they that, that folks grade Ohio State on is so, so great that it is very hard to get a real feel for what this team and what this program is. Because, you know, when they struggle with a Penn State, then we ask, well, is this a better thing for Penn State or does this show some cracks in Ohio State? Whereas if, you know, Alabama struggles with, uh, you know, a top 20 LSU team, we say, oh, that's a great game between two great teams and it cements Alabama number one. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like yeah. the conversation yeah. just completely changes based on what the color of the jersey looks like. And so Ohio State has taken complete care of business this year. It's struggled against Notre Dame, but that's because Jackson Smith and Jigba wasn't on the field. And offensively, they looked like a wreck for three quarters of football. But other than that, there has been no point in this season where I've sat in a press box and been like, man, I don't know really how good this team is. It's, they're just, they're killing people. And I yeah. expect Penn State to give them a good game. And I think it's going to be a good measuring stick for where Ohio State is, not just where Penn State is. But but it is, sometimes it is kind of interesting to see the conversation surrounding the elite of the elite programs in college football. Yeah, and you take a step down and it's, yeah, sure, Penn State can win 10 games. A lot of fans are, are already uh, – accounting for the season as a 10 and two season. And it's not good enough because you lost to the only two good teams on your, on your schedule, which I think is just ridiculous because just because you're not the elite of the elite doesn't mean you aren't a good football team And Penn state so far has proven they're a good football team. But as we pointed out, talking about Ohio state and Penn state in this matchup, maybe they aren't as complete as one of the best teams to come through college football in just a hot minute. So Spencer Holbrook, I know you got a very busy day. Thank you for giving us a little bit of extra time even to, to discuss this breakdown. I thoroughly enjoyed this. We got to do this again. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm, I'm available anytime. You know, if you want to talk about it after the game, you know, let's, let's, let's set up a time. We can do it. it this is a lot of fun and I really appreciate you having me. We'll be back uh, tomorrow with the official preview with uh, Sean Fitz, and Nate Bauer on the BWI Daily Edition. Then we'll be back on Friday with your best bets and your recruiting preview. Another huge game for Penn State football with talent that will decide the future coming to watch Ohio State. Well, that's all this week on the BWI Daily Edition. We'll talk to you then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.